Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jarden's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I've got the pleasure of being joined by a duo. I've got Ray's CEO, Brendan Malone, and I've got the founder of Super Estate, Grant Fritz. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Elise. Thanks, Elise, for having us. So I'm going to start by turning over perhaps to you, Brendan, and Grant, you can jump in too if you like. Tell us about what Raise does and the origins of the problem that you're solving. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Elise. Uh, look, Raise Invest is a very simple product. It's Australia's leading micro-investing platform. Uh, we started in March 2015. We found a problem and we tried to solve it. And that problem is breaking down the barriers to investing, letting everyday Australians have an experience and an understanding in, in the financial markets. So we break down those barriers. We break down the requirements to save into small bite-sized pieces that people can manage. So we bought this solution back in the day. It used to be called Acorns Grow. And it was a joint venture out of the US. And we kicked off in March 2015 with the build and we went live in February 2016. And we're very, very surprised and pleased with the take-up from the Australian population. If we look at it now, we've got over 292,000 active customers. We like to say that we've had over 550,000 Australians have been educated in some way, shape or form through the RAISE or the ACORNS and the RAISE platform here in Australia. So what it does is it breaks down the barriers to entry. It allows people to invest, be fully invested in the market for as little as $5. And how does that work in practice? Like, do I go shopping and get a coffee and it helps me save or how does it actually work? It's very simple. You download the app from either the App Store or the Google Play Store. You sort of register and it usually takes three or four minutes and we complete a KYC check or a Know Your Client check. Then there's two main things that a customer will do is the first one's links are funding accounts. That means they link a bank account where the deposits or the investments will come from. Mm -hmm. The second question we ask is, would you like to use our Roundup features? And we were one of the first in the Australian markets to bring this Roundup concept to the Australian customer. And what that means is for me personally, I link my NAB debit card, I link my NAB Visa card, I link my Amex card, and we will see those transactions come through. And it might see my coffee downstairs of a morning come through at 350. So it sees that transaction. It says, right, we will virtually round that to the nearest dollar. It'll take that 50 cents. And as those roundups accumulate to $5 or more, then the direct debit instruction is sent to my funding account or to my NAB bank account, and it pulls the money the next day, that $5 is invested in the portfolio of your choice. So on the registration flow, after you've linked your bank accounts, we say to you, hey, what portfolio would you like? Four or five years ago, we started with five simple portfolios, which was ranging from conservative to aggressive. Each one of those portfolios is made up of nine ETFs that are all quoted here on the ASX. And it goes across different sort of asset classes, whether it's cash, Australian equities, US equities, money markets, bonds, et cetera. So we're really creating that modern portfolio theory of small amounts over time in a diverse investment. So we're creating that. We have a very customer-centric model. As the product developed and the customers came on, they asked us for a social responsible portfolio. So we built one called Emerald. Mm -hmm. Sort of fast forward three years, customers wanted to understand more about the hype of crypto. So we built a Sapphire, uh, which has a 5% allocation to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So you pick your portfolio and away you go. So there's there's sort of four ways where a customer can get their money or their investments into this portfolio. And the first one's roundups that we've spoken about. Then we see the need or the customer saw the need to have a regular reoccurring savings goal. Mm -hmm. So you might put $5 in a day, $5 a week, $5 a month. You can set how often you would like this reoccurring deposit. 
obviously through the um, July, August, September months, we see one-off lump sum deposits come into people's accounts, and that's off the back of tax refunds. So mm -hmm. if you get a certain amount or grandma's giving you $50 or $100 for your birthday or Christmas, you can lump sum that in. So it's one-off lump sums. And then the fourth way, which uh, we'll talk about a bit later, is the Raise Rewards program. This is where if you shop with one of our merchants, that one of our partners, they will put cash back into your investment account. So that's the four ways of getting money into your investment accounts. Super interesting. I'm really curious as to how did it go during COVID? You know, were there more transactions happening online or now that we're starting to see the economy, at least in Australia, reopen? Is that a beneficiary? Um, good question. Pre-COVID, a lot of investors would say to us, what happens if there's a market downturn? You know, we saw that in the year of February where Brexit and later in that year in November was Trump. So when Brexit happened and the market volatility was there, it was a big learning curve for us because we are a financial services, savings and invest platform, but one of our key strengths or key offering is financial literacy and education. So when Brexit happened, people were nervous, they withdraw their money. Now, we thought, okay, how can we fix that? So we spent the next six months educating people about if the markets go down, modern portfolio theory, no matter where the market is, continue with your plan, your savings goals, mm -hmm. prices go down, you buy more units, therefore when they go up, you're sort of getting some sort of growth out of it. Mm -hmm. So we spent that period and what happened when Trump happened, the same volatility in the market was there, but instead of customers withdrawing or locking in the downside, they would switch from an aggressive portfolio to a conservative portfolio. And then the Trump jump happened and they you know, changed it back the next day. So when COVID hit, that education was there, the learning programs that we had was there, so people would move around. I mean, there's some interesting behaviours of people might have had a balance of 1500 they took 500 out but kept that emergency cash there, that $1,000 there because everyone said, have you got $1,000 if the car breaks down or medical or you've got to travel for family or something? We could see that actually behaviour of people mm. saying, well, I want to save up my $1,000 there and have it for an emergency. You know, we talk about what happened in the macro state there with people losing their jobs. Mm. You know, there was an extra 1000 there in case they couldn't pay rent or they did lose their job. So that was interesting in the behaviour and what people did with their accounts when COVID happened. Yeah, you do see that on your national accounts as well. Grant? I'll just add in, Elise, it's really important on the education piece because if you're not educated, you basically pull your money out and crystallise your losses at the bottom typically, right? So then mm -hmm. you also then miss out on all those big days when you do get the bounce back. So essentially without education, people do themselves a massive disservice and hurt themselves financially. Mm, to buy low, sell high, which we always <laughs> want to try and find. Exactly. <laughs> As you mentioned about the education, I'm really curious about, you know, that go-to-market strategy. Where are you finding these customers and how are you helping to educate them? We've been very fortunate that when we sort of had that joint venture with Acorns US, they were running about six months prior to us. So they had what I call or we call a playbook. And that's probably one of the secrets to our success is the cost of acquisition of these customers. Yeah. And that playbook was all about social media. And that's where we've got all our customers to date. You know, we've just made an announcement of a Seven West Media investment in the last couple of days, and I'm sure we'll get to that later. But the playbook is about acquiring these customers online. Yeah. You know, we're very fortunate to have a, a data scientist guy come and approach us in the early days and say he wanted to do his PhD or thesis on how do you acquire financial services customers online. And that was the exact problem that George was trying to solve pre-Acorns. Acorns came along. And in the early days, we were acquiring these customers for sort of 2 and $3. Yeah. 
by being in front of them, being mobile first, being in front of them on their phone, whether it was on their commute to work, whether it's on their lunchtime or on their commute on the way home or sitting on the lounge on a Saturday or a Sunday morning. And that playbook's the same playbook that we've now picked up, we've dropped into our Southeast Asia businesses and it seems to be working very well as well. Can you talk to us about that geographic footprint? Where are you today? We launched in Australia in 2016 and we're talking about 292,000 active customers here in Australia at the end of November. Then about two and a half, three years ago, we sort of set up our Indonesian business. And probably before I say that, people say to me, why aren't we in our New Zealand? Why aren't we in the Singapore's? What our business model is about is about number of users. It's not about total funds under management. Whilst that helps and, you know, we reached a billion dollars on the 10th of November and we released that to the market, it's all about the number of customers. So the biggest and most obvious move for us is our closest geographical trading partner in Indonesia Mm. with 280 million people. Sort of three years when we did some focus groups there, the groups that we worked with said that our target market in Indonesia would be 55 million people. 55 million people. <laughs> Australian population is 25 million. Yeah. But more importantly, that aspirational or that target group or, or cohort of customers that we'll be chasing is growing to 110 million people by the year 2030. Yeah. Australian population is 25 million. It may grow to 25, 26 million in that 10 years' time. Yeah. So that really shows the opportunity and the strategic decision why we went into Indonesia. Hmm. then it's the same thing with Malaysia, same thing with Thailand. So we're completely operational in Indonesia, completely Hmm. operational in Malaysia with teams on the ground there. They're probably where the Aussie business was four or five years ago. They're up and running. They've got this basic investment opportunity or investment product there. We will now roll out a lot of our features from the Australian business into those over the next six, 12 months. And then we're due to go live in Thailand in the next couple of months with Vietnam slated for the end of next year. Super exciting. So I might use that as a segue to talk about the industry as a whole. When you do think about what is your target market, is it global or even in Australia, have you tried to say about, you know, my TAM is X or Y? Any details on that? So I'll talk about Australia first and then apply that to, I guess, the Asian region. So I think the thing that's amazing for RAISE and the micro-investing industry is breaking down the barriers of saving and investing. The people we're trying to help, it's not your traditional finance investors who are investing large sums of money, right? It's everyday people who are just learning about the markets, who Mm. maybe have struggled to save and need to put that money away. And that is where the bulk of the population is, right? So it's about helping as many people as possible. So applying that in Australia, as Brendan said before, I mean, there's so many people here who need help and we're a relatively wealthy country already, but the number of people that need that helping hand is huge. When you apply that same problem to the Asian countries where the populations are 10 times bigger and the populations are more lower socioeconomic and are more emerging, there's an even bigger opportunity to actually help those people get on their feet financially. So trying to sort of size up TAMs, it's Mm -hmm. how much money should people be saving and you apply that across the whole population, right? It's huge. Do you have any numbers on the average balance that you have shared already about where it is now, what the growth rates have been over the time that you've had those guys? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So we only really published the Aussie numbers, especially on the basis of um, FUM. Mm -hmm. Because while the FUMs are growing in both Indonesia and Malaysia, it's not a metric of our revenue exercises. So it's more about number of customers. 
But um, the average balance in the Australian market is currently about 3000 And yeah. we've seen that growing probably on average about $800 a year for the last couple of years. Yeah. And then in terms of the penetration of the Australian market right now, do you feel it's still early days, there's a long runway, or given you've been here a few years, it's reaching more maturity? We have 292,000 active mm. customers. So if you actually think about that, as far as the Australian population goes, that's more than one in 100 Australians right now have an active raise balance, right? Yeah. That's pretty big, but that also means there's about 98.5% of the population that isn't using raise or isn't using our service and might not be saving and investing. So I think whilst we have had amazing growth and have a really huge foundation, we're only just getting started. I mean, the number of people that you speak to about saving and investing, everyone's very familiar with banking savings products, but investing is still new to a lot of people. So I think over the next few years, we're going to see huge growth in the broader industry. And Mm -hmm. for us as a business, we're really going to be stepping things up over the next year. And that sort of feeds into our Channel 7 deal, but we'll talk about more. And then the competitive landscape. Is there anybody else out there doing what you guys are doing? And if they are, who are they if you're willing to disclose? So at a high level, personally, I think anybody taking retail deposits can be seen as a competitor for us. Okay. But in this micro-investing space that we're in, there's a couple out there and you know, someone like Spaceship or even the notice that someone like Commonwealth Bank by them producing Compocket a couple of years ago to compete with us, it sort of validates our business model that there's an opportunity or there's room in the market for what we do. So anybody taking retail deposits... The thing is, nobody does 100% of what we do. There's a few out there that will do parts of it. And what I mean is, you know, you think of the old iceberg. You've got above the water. That's our customer app. That's what the people see. The customers see the lovely app, the user experience, the investment portfolios. There's a lot of work underground or under the water that we do in-house. That's from owning our own AFSL license, owning our technology stack, keeping the knowledge of our engineers and developers in-house is important for us. And then we do everything from funds administration. So you know, just to give you an example, you know, like this morning, we might have $3.2 million buy for customers and then there's a sell. We're impacting or transactioning on behalf of 100,000 Aussies on a daily basis. Mm. So we do everything from the buy, from the sell, from the switching. And it's something that I touched on earlier. Mm. When you look at what a customer can do for the revenue or the $3.50 monthly subscription that we charge, they can do as many deposits, as many withdrawals, and then as many switches or rebalancings in, in portfolios in a month that they like. And the ops guys do all that. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, if you put in $5 today, you'll get a statement at the end of the day that says your $5 was fractionalised across these nine ETFs. Mm-hmm. It's like a contract statement at the end of the day. We do a month-end statement that says your opening balance was this, your closing balance was this, and this is all the movements in the middle. And then at the end of the year, we provide an annual tax statement. It's a PDF that you can just upload straight into the tax system or provide to your tax accountant. I don't think we tapped into your revenue model and how you make your money. Yeah, so that's this is where most of it goes on to um, the actual number of users or number of active users that we have. So we're very pleased that we have a sort of a various revenue streams coming into the business. We're not reliant on one. So if I break down our revenue, 64% of our revenue at the moment is coming through our maintenance fee. So that means if you're in one of our six set predefined portfolios, we will charge you $3.50 a month on a subscription basis or $42 a year. If that account balance goes over $15,000, 
Then we move to more of an asset under management or an FUM figure of 27.5 basis points per annum paid monthly. So that's in the first six portfolios there. If you choose to go into our Sapphire portfolio, it's $4.50 a month. If you go into our customised portfolios, it's again $4.50 a month. So there's a few more transactional costs involved in those portfolios or those funds. So that's why you're paying about a dollar more. Nice. So that's about 64% of our revenue. That funds under management or the account fee, as we call it, it's about 18%. Mm-hmm. Then the, the last 18 to 20% revenue comes from our advertising and our netting. So our advertising, there's two sort of streams. We can send emails on behalf of merchants or push messages or in-app messages, and the merchants will pay us for that. Or we have this raise rewards program that I touched on earlier, where if you shop with one of our 418 merchants currently in the app, and I'll pick David Jones as a brand, if you shop at David Jones, you hit the David Jones logo in the app, it'll take you to the David Jones website and you shop as normal. That's all you have to do. And instead of getting a point of sale discount, you'll get cash back into your raise account. So what I mean by that, and I'll use round numbers for simplicity, if you spent $100 at David Jones and the discount or the promotion was 5%, mm-hmm. $5 would come into your raise account between two and four weeks later and it will say David Jones has invested in you. So this creates a forced savings capability, which a lot of people would get the point of sale at discount, pay the 95 turn around and spend that $5 somewhere else. This creates a forced savings for them. And the beautiful part about that is you could have that go into your Raise Invest account or your Raise Invest Super account. You know, mm. there's a lot of messaging out there about little bits, of whether it's $4, $5 a week, going into your super, especially for the millennials or the cohorts that are in our customers, what difference that would make at the end of the day for retirement. Yeah, those ads that they have on superannuation are great for highlighting that along with uh, us in finance that, you know, that dollar today and what that does in 10 years, as you say, it accumulates. And then I might move on to the economics of the business. So can you talk to some of the numbers around churns and payback periods and lifetime value? That'd be great. I think the thing that Raise has done better than any other fintech in the world is basically the low CAC, right? The really low cost of customer acquisition. Brendan said earlier when the business first started, it was a few dollars to acquire a customer. At the Mm -hmm. moment, we're still sitting in the sort of $12 to $13 range, which people are paying $3.50 a month to use the service on the low end. So it's like the payback period is only a few months, right? Mm -hmm. Which is incredible for a business like this. And also the sheer number of customers that have been acquired at Mm -hmm. that rate as well. It's not like the business only has a few hundred customers. This has Mm -hmm. been built out over years. Yeah, so I think that's important when people think about us and, you know, we're world leaders in cost of acquisition of financial service customers, especially when you look at the big industry funds in Australia in particular, they're paying $350 for $350 cost of acquisition or anywhere from $250 to $350. But we've got 10,000 super customers on our platform and our acquisitions being pretty much zero because we're only marketing it or only promoting our super product to our existing customer base. And when we talk about the actual numbers that Grant was talking about, we put out our active customer numbers and fund numbers on a monthly basis to the ASX. And if I looked at the ones we released on Monday for 30th of November, there's been 1.1 million Aussies have signed up. As I said, over 562,000 have been educated in some way. So they've had money in their account and we're down to that 292. So customer acquisition is a bit of a secret source to the success or the metrics of the business. The other thing on that is probably our gross margin and the technology is scalable. We've proven that in Australia. We're proving it even faster when we're getting sort of 7 and 8% month-on-month growth in our Asian businesses. 
And we, we're sort of tracking at about a 63, 64% gross margin. And that can only continue because everything's technology. We talk about our cost base. You know, we're operating here in Australia servicing 292,000 monthly financial services customers with a team of 27 people. You know, in the Indonesian and the Malaysian businesses, we've got 15 and 16 respectively up there. So it's not a massive capex. It's not even a massive opex business. It is just very streamlined and very tight. And I think those gross margins will see that continue because Mm. of the technology and the scalability. Yeah, and it's, if it's all about volume, as you say, it, it makes sense on that side. And are there any competitors overseas or any listed stocks that you think are doing something similar that's worthwhile mentioning? That's a good question. There's a few in the UK, the coin jars and the money mm-hmm. boxes. From a business or a board point of view, we continue to stay in our lane and just continue to focus on ourselves. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are asking us at the moment about Acorns. Acorns, who was our joint venture partner, is still a significant or top three shareholder in our business mm-hmm. here. They're due to be listed on the NASDAQ. So we're keeping a very good eye on that. Whilst they've had some very good customer numbers, and I think it was about $4 billion US dollars under management or something like that that they've got. You know, mm-hmm. we keep an eye on that. But when we um, listed on the ASX back in June 2018, we put out our strategy. And yeah. I'm proud to say that both the board and the management team continue to stick to that strategy. There's a lot of fintechs out there, a lot of businesses out there that will chop and change with either macro or micro economic mm-hmm. themes. You know, one of them has been the buy now, pay later. Oh, I know. People, <laughs> people are asking us all the time, oh, no, no, we're going to stick with what we're yes. good at and we continue yes. to deliver on the strategy that we said four or five years ago. Absolutely. And let's delve more into that strategy. I know there's a million things to do as a startup, but if we look in the next 12 months, where are you going hard at? So probably two weeks ago, we announced that Channel 7 or 7 West Media have invested $10 million into raise through a mix of cash and advertising spend. This comes down to the problem that we face where we are currently helping a bit more than one in 100 Australians. Mm -hmm. There's a huge number of Australians that haven't heard of raise and haven't heard of saving and investing as the concept in the way we're talking about it. So... For the business, our strategy is to actually get the message out there that there is a service out there. It's really simple and we're there to help these people. So I think for us as a business, we've always relied very heavily on our digital marketing. So this is going to be something new to really put the brand out there and see if it resonates with that wider audience. So it's something we're really excited about. That's advertising. I think we've also spoken a lot about product. And at least one of the things that the team's done very well here is listening to the customers and building out what people actually want. And that's echoed in the Emerald portfolio, which is the ethical investing. It's the Sapphire portfolio, which is Bitcoin. And one of the reasons why I'm here was we were acquired by Raise because we bring property into the mix. So one of the big projects for the team here is adding a diversified residential product into the mix as well. And that's something that's very unique in the Australian market. And all Australians seem to understand and resonate with property. So it'll be hugely exciting for Rays to put diversified residential property fund into our investment mix. Absolutely. That will be exciting. And as you say, everybody does love their property in Australia, even if it's seemingly unreachable, if you can put it in a Yeah, well, this this way, if you have $5, you'll be able to own a little share in a whole portfolio of properties. $5 and I've got my million-dollar mansion. That's exactly what we like to hear. (laughs) Well, I'm conscious of your time. So if anybody listening right now does want to go and see or hear or download the app, give us a little bit more detail as to where they can go. 
Yeah, look, the, the best place is probably the website. So it's raiseinvest.com.au. We are on the ASX. We've been on there a few years now. So there's a lot of information, corporate history on the Investor Centre on that website. The ASX has all our releases. And one of the key messages from the board and the management team was to make sure that we are transparent. So we do put out monthly numbers to let the investors know. And look, we do have quite a, a retail following on our stock. So that's why we want to keep the transparency for those guys. And again, that's all about education not only to our customers, but also our shareholders. We're on social, the social media channels of LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, which is always good. Or send us an email, ir at raisingtest.com.au. Fantastic. Well, thank you once again, Ray CEO Brendan Malone and Super Estate founder Grant Britz. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Perfect, Elise. Thanks, Elise. 